in, in May 2011, I went and attended uh, a Hope Rising Benefit concert. It was Alicia Keys and Kanan, a couple others. And uh, when, when we went into the hall, I remember walking into the hallway, and uh, there, kind of before me, stood Jack Layton. And it was right after the election, when he had uh, come second, but had done better than the NDP had ever done before. I never seen him there. He was just kind of hanging out. And some people come and shake his hand and leave. And, and I just sat there, and I kind of looked at him. And I was like thinking to myself, I'd like to say hi to him. I, I didn't vote for him personally, but I really respected him. And so it was one of these moments where I went up to him. I said, hey, how are you doing? Shook his hand. He was looking a little bit sickly, but this is before we knew that his sickness had come back. And I just remember being struck by the humanity of the person. That this was a human being, not some just icon on a screen that you yelled at or got happy about. Or it was, this is an actual human being who was kind and gracious. And I remember walking away from that encounter just thinking, I had met political figures before and prime ministers, but it was always in the, in the blitz, right, of, of the political sphere. And this was like just him humbly just kind of sitting there. And it kind of struck me that as important as politics can be, sometimes we forget humanity in the midst of that. that as, I, as I thought back on this time, before he was, uh, uh, you know, had, had he passed away, when, when I heard that news, yes, the leader of the official opposition had passed away, but I thought of this person who I had met. And I thought about church and this whole question of being a church without walls, and one of the things we realize that can create walls really quickly between people is politics. You can just say the name Trump and then watch a room explode. And I think it's getting more and more divisive. Anyways, our, our politics can be something where people who are in the same family at Thanksgiving can clash. We can see it rip apart communities sometimes. The, the, the politics of uh, different individuals can sometimes turn into uh, adversarial relationships. But as important as politics can be, we realize that Jesus didn't define his movement by political positions. That Jesus had a movement that was centered around who he was, the lamb that came to take away the sins of the world, whatever your political persuasion. And so when I think about a church without walls, I, I ask myself, how can we be a church that is attractive to all people, whatever their political, their philosophical, or their cultural approach? A church without walls is a church that is willing to allow Jesus to remake the left and the right. And we see this in Jesus' words about how people responded to both him and to John the Baptist. This is in Matthew eleven eighteen to 20. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Both Jesus and John the Baptist came with different approaches. And they were rejected for these different reasons. And yet God called them to both help start a new movement. John was right and Jesus was left. No, wisdom looks at their deeds. 
Wisdom looks at who they really are. John lived as an ascetic. says he came neither eating nor drinking. We know that he had kind of a wild, crazy appearance. He ate locusts and honey. He dressed in crazy animal furs. He lived out in the desert. His approach was extreme. He called out the uh, Pharisees. He called out everyone to repentance. He said to the Pharisees, you're not righteous enough. Some people would say that he was on the extreme of the society. And so the Pharisees came and they were critiquing him. And the way they labeled him was, he's mad. He's crazy. He must be possessed by a demon. This is too much. And with Jesus, we see the opposite. And what we're starting to realize, with the Pharisees doing these critiques of both Jesus and of John the Baptist, they're actually playing into what I would say was the wider political, philosophical climate of the time. When you read the historian Josephus, he lays out that there was actually four philosophies that different Jewish people held. So we read this from from Josephus in the Antiquities of the Jews. The Jews had, for a great while, three sects of philosophy peculiar to themselves. The sect of the Essenes, the sect of the Sadducees, the third sort of opinions was those of the Pharisees. But the fourth sect of Jewish philosophy, Judas the Galilean, was the author, and these are the sects of Jewish philosophy. So Josephus, the historian, is telling us, at the time of Jesus, there were these different pictures of how the Jewish people looked at the political climate. The first he mentions is the Essenes. And and largely, a lot of people would associate John the Baptist with the Essenes. It's a nice picture of them there. They used water purification rituals. They thought the temple system was too corrupt for them, and so they went into the desert. In many ways, they were like prototypes of the monastic movement. So they would live celibately. They were very keen to separate themselves from the world. Their, Their term basically meant pious. They lived in poverty. Sometimes they lived all together in a community. And what they were really trying to say to this society was, This system is corrupt. God cannot accept the way this current system is working. We need to rip it down or it needs to change. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? That's the Qumran community. So these were probably Essene sects that had stored all these things out in the desert. That's why they never were found for a long time because they were away from society. The next sect that he mentions is the Pharisees. The Pharisees are probably the the most popular group. We've been looking at them because they're the ones also that had Jesus in their targets because they saw him as uh, some sort of threat to their power. And the Pharisees believed that they were to help return the people to righteousness and good actions. This is why they get so concerned when they see Jesus with the tax collectors. Because what they need to do is have everyone become righteous because then the Messiah will return. And so they're really, they're really obsessed almost with how righteous people are living. That's why they want to make sure everyone's living according to the laws, make sure everything's, the, the, the T's are crossed, and the I's are dot. And they really focus on fellowship meals as a way of community, and then the oral and written community of the culture. Then there's the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the worldly type. They were basically the, oh, if we can't beat them, Join them. 
They came from the aristocratic, military, and priestly sects of the society. So they were born a little more wealthy. You can tell even by their ornamentation on their, on their robes. And the Sadducees' basic idea was uh, they didn't believe in life after death. They believed in life right here. They didn't think God was really actively involved that much. And that basically you're called to try to follow the Torah, not the oral tradition, the Torah, and do what you can in society. Do what it takes to, to live. So they were always accused of basically becoming Hellenized, which means becoming just like the Greek culture. They were in danger of letting go of their Jewishness, was the Pharisees' critique. And finally, what became known as the fourth philosophy was the Zealots. The Zealots were a group who had a passion for liberty. They believed that God's people, the Jewish people, should be free from Roman oppression. And they didn't believe that you should just say that. They believed that you should actually put your actions where your mouth was. And so they actually believed in actual physical overthrow of the Roman government. They believed in actually killing Roman soldiers, very famously at Masada, where they all decide to be, commit suicide rather than be, to be killed. The zealots were responsible for the uprising that eventually had the Romans quash them in 70 AD, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy. So these are the four, you could call them political or ideological spectrums, that Jesus was walking and breathing and swimming in the culture of. These are the different positions. And you can see the Pharisees applying, looking at John the Baptist like in a scene saying, oh, they're all crazy. You can see Jesus sitting down with tax collectors saying, oh, you're like the Sadducees, you're too worldly. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus came in with a different approach. We learned this last week when he sat down with Levi. They're saying, oh, you're not as extreme as the Essenes. He's not as concerned with the table fellowship like the Pharisees. He's not as politically savvy as the Sadducees. And he's not a violent revolutionary like the Zealots. And these are the critiques he's getting from all these different corners. But Jesus didn't play the game of labeling people. He didn't believe that a person should be defined by their approach to the politics of the day. Jesus was actually groundbreaking by being able to actually attract people from all four of these movements. It's very interesting when you start to look at how he moves. He's actually disrupting the whole structure because people from each group are coming to him. They want what he has. Let's look at a couple of his disciples. First of all, Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Jesus had in the ranks of his 12 someone who had been belonged to a party that was actually committed to violent overthrow of the Roman Empire. Do you think about that? Jesus, who we know rejected that, had somehow still attracted Simon into his ranks. There was something about Jesus was offering that Simon got excited about, was able to walk with these people. Someone like Levi, the tax collector, who we know is a, a worldly person. Someone who aligned himself with the Roman government, which the Pharisees and the Zealots would have said, and the Essenes would have all said, you can't even 
associate with such a person. And yet Jesus brings into his family this tax collector. And we hear so much about the Pharisees and how they're always opposed to Jesus and they're kind of his kind of arch enemies. But he sits down at meals with them. Nicodemus comes alongside and is asking him questions. In fact, one of the most famous converts to help write scripture, Paul the Apostle, was a Pharisee. Somehow, Jesus even attracted Pharisees into his movement. And John and James, we know, were disciples of John the Baptist. So they were coming from this kind of strict, more Essene style. So within his very 12, he has mishmashed all these different political persuasions. He says, this is the church. Learn to get along. Which they didn't really for a long time. Unsurprisingly. Could you imagine being part of a movement where a tax collector and a zealot sat down together? Tax collectors worked with the Romans. They actually helped uh, many times with the military. They would actually supply the military things, do logistics for them. And the zealots believed that they were at war with the Roman military. A zealot would slit slit the throat of a tax collector in a second if he had a chance to do it and not get caught. He would actually think that was his duty to do that. And here Jesus says, would you like to have some dinner together? Jesus says to them, God is bigger than your ideology. The mystery of God includes all the truths that you guys are pointing to. Now, each aspect, I would say, each party had an aspect of the truth. They were, that's why we, we see the different groups, because they're, they're convinced of the truth that's on their platform. Hey, we need to be more righteous. True. Hey, we need to learn how to work with the people around us and, and the government above us. True. Hey, we can't just allow oppression in this world. True. Hey, we need to take the scripture seriously. True. And yet, when they get separated into the groups and they start battling, Jesus is saying, all these things somehow together in the mystery of God are fulfilled in me. That's what Jesus says. I believe this is because Jesus looked, them, looked at them as people. He didn't look them, at them like labels. Although some of the labels even stuck. I love that Simon the Zealot is still Simon the Zealot. Even afterwards, it's just so crazy that Zealot is following Jesus. But he didn't look at them as their labels. He looked at them at their hearts. And he says that. That's why he says, wisdom is proved by her deeds. Not with your teetoler, drunkard, glutton, diet-obsessed person. These are, these are not the labels They're not helpful for Jesus. He sees each of you are passionate in an area that's really important. And we need to embrace that. And and I'm here to help fulfill those things. I see those areas that you're passionate, but that's not exactly who you are. Who you are is a child of God. Each of you 
And I'm here to help you learn to get along. Because wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus doesn't get distracted by the ideological labels or the political labels. He looks at the heart of the person. Do you, do you really seek God? The Pharisees missed the wisdom of John because they, they couldn't get past how he dressed, how extreme he was. They couldn't get the wisdom of Jesus because they, were just, they couldn't get over the fact that he was sitting down with a sinner. And Jesus says, you need to look at the whole person. And so Jesus is creating a movement that's answering all of their questions, addressing all of their desires. The four philosophies and, and their strengths are coming together and the weakness they're being discarded. He calls people to himself and they're responding to these scenes. He's offering a righteousness and a forgiveness. To the Pharisees, he's offering fulfillment of the law. To the Sadducees, he's saying, you're able to live in your culture without guilt. And to the Zealots, he's saying, yes, there needs to be a radical confrontation of the way of empire and domination and oppression. But he's also offering each of them a considerable challenge. Cleanliness comes from faith in Jesus alone. Freedom from religious rules is an important part of the gospel. And you need to turn away from worldly ways. And you need to reject violence as a means of accomplishing your goals. The fellowship of Jesus calls these former enemies together. For a tax collector to eat with a zealot, for Pharisees to give a hug to the Sadducees. He's calling us not to judge a person by these labels. We don't judge you by whether you drink or you don't drink, how you eat. We need to get to know a person truly and personally. See who, who they really are. Whether you're a vegan or a carnivore, there are good people in both. And there are bad people in both. There are people who would hurt others in both. It's interesting when I was thinking about preaching this, and I know it's a hot topic, it's about politics, yay. I opened my car door this morning, I was kept thinking, oh, I could always go back to an old sermon somehow. And I opened my car door and I turned on the radio and I'm on, listening to sports radio, the John Kincaid show, and he's going off on some diatribe. He's like, when I tell people that I'm right of center, they say labels on me. They tell you, oh, you're a Trump-loving Fox News guy. He's like, no. He's, kind of, he's actually defending Colin Kaepernick and the whole knee thing. It's a very interesting situation. His whole point was, as soon as you hear kind of one side of things, that you start getting thrown labels on you. You're this and this and this and this and this. I'm like, I'm listening to sports radio and I still can't get away from the politics. People are unique and different, right? When I think about my own politics, I'll tell you, I, I don't want to get into too much. I'm a union boy. I grew up a union boy. And, and I'm also afraid of the national debt. I'm a rapper and a pastor. What's that? 
Like, how do you, labels don't actually fit. Like, I don't think anyone actually fits that whole label very often. And we, and, but yet, when we hear one thing that they believe, we go, oh, and we, we line them all up with this way of being, right? It's a, a way to divide us. The problem is that the labels don't treat people like people. We have to learn to look past these labels. We are complex beings. We have various experiences that shape us. We're trying to figure out life as it comes our way. A church without walls says, come to the table, whoever you are, come and love Jesus. Come be part of the family of Jesus. And I'm certain that in this congregation we have people of all sorts of different stripes, politically, philosophically, theologically. We're all trying to get a sense of our lives. We're all trying to to know how we're supposed to work in society. We're all called to vote as good citizens of our country. But what the gospel tells us is that does not define us. Jesus does. What defines me? I'm a follower of Jesus. I have more in common with a person who loves Jesus than someone from a certain party or a certain political persuasion. Or... So I think Jesus is challenged to look past the labels, wine or not wine, whether you eat in the desert or a tax collector's house. A church without walls is a place where we sit down together. We treat each other like holistic human beings. We're bound together by love for Jesus. And so to do this, I think we need to resist labels. Let's be careful. And I see this in my life, of throwing an epithet at someone in our mind. Oh, they're conservative. Oh, they're liberal. Let's be careful about that. What does it look like when we join the Jesus movement? Our wisdom is proved right by our deeds, by who we are, not by our ideology. How do you actually live your life? How do you actually love people? A person who believes in Jesus is transformed. They're no longer defined by their policies that they think might be right for the civic good. And, you know, every election time, we're all going to have to get together and talk about these things. It's not, it's, it's not that these things are unimportant. It's that Jesus is all important. When we let Jesus be our center, we begin to treat people differently. We begin to love indiscriminately. Become like the, the good Samaritan who's helping a person because they're a person, even though they're from an entirely different group of people who hate them. So I encourage each of you to sit down with someone who might approach things differently than you. And sit down with them. And actually, I don't want you to talk about that thing, like what you differ on. Just get to know that person. Sit down with them, just like Simon had to do with Levi at some point. She's like, hey, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Let's be like brothers and sisters. 
That's a church without walls. A place where we can all come and gather together. If we could be a people who actually don't treat another person differently based upon their political persuasion or their philosophical persuasion, we will be a place that attracts people. Whoa, you're actually welcome here. Not only that, it's not just that we'll stand out. Jesus will stand out. Jesus' approach will stand out. This man, this divine man who came to earth and somehow drew together people at war with each other. So they would come together and follow him in a path of peace. As our culture becomes more and more divided by these terms, let Jesus draw us together. When we look past the surface, we get to know who the person is. And then the church is fulfilling God's purposes. And so today, as we gather on this table,